Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students. People looking to discover more about superheroes and the world, because both are awesome. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Schuyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. Oh, SM. and... Oh, oh you toe-stepper! Oh, Gotta, gotta add it to the outline. Gotta have a guest. <laughs> you can edit it. Because <laughs> technically... <laughs> Alright, whatever. Uh, we have a fourth man joining us tonight. We're on a streak of guests right now. Uh, I mean, we're like on four in a row or something. Who's here? Our Star Wars expert tonight. Grant Austin. Oh, yeah. What is this, your eighth appearance? You're practically a full-time panel member. <laughs> nice edit to the outline. Big giant I know. It's, it's gigantic. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've been on that many times, but yeah, it's been a few. All right, Ben, pick us up. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, traders, or science, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. I was raised to do one thing. But I've got nothing to fight for. Nothing will stand in our way. I will finish... What you started. There are stories about what happened. It's true. All of it. The dark side. Jedi. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. And yes, there will be spoilers. All right, so first, opinions. Let's keep this segment uh, nice and tight. I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go first. Good movie. Loved it. <laughs> I, will, I'll, I will be fully upfront and say I am not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. Um... So, I mean, I just kind of watched this because I felt I had to. Okay. Ooh. 
Not that I say, not that I don't recognize that it's a cultural phenomenon. Um, wow, I sound like a douchebag. Holy cow! You're pulling a Ben this week. <laughs> you are a douchebag. <laughs> I just like that self-realization moment where I'm like, you know, it's. I mean, Star Wars is a bit overhyped. <laughs> it's like that's not true, but it's a great movie. Uh, I, I, you know, I, there were some moments where I went oh, in the film. Uh, a lot of the anything that involved flying spaceships, big fan. Um, but I think I had the same issue everyone else had with the movie of just oh, another planet destroying device. Ooh, exciting! Yeah. This time it's bigger. All right, popcorn. Ben, I loved it. It's my second favorite movie of 2015 behind Mad Max Fury Road. And yeah, I think it, it succeeded in every ways that every way the prequel failed. It was exciting. The characters were relatable and interesting. And it was just, it was fun. And it was like, I didn't mind that there was another Death Star, but it was bigger because it was, it was, it, it was like the old ones, man. It was, it was fun space fantasy adventure, and I loved it. Popcorn Grant. Okay, well, uh, I also really liked it. Um, there were some things I took issue with. I did think it was very much a nostalgia film and not really its own sort of piece of the Star Wars universe. It just kind of repeated a lot of what happened in Episode Four. Um, although, to be fair, I love all the Star Wars movies, even the prequels. I think those are awesome as well. Ooh, uh, honestly, not. the biggest. Okay. Anyway, uh, one thing I didn't care for was I thought the lightsaber fight was kind of lame, but that was just me. Um, Could have been better. But other than that, I really liked it. I went and saw it multiple times. So, popcorn, Skyler, I guess. <laughs> I guess. No, I had a great time with uh, Force Awakens. Uh, it movie pretty much had one thing to do, and it was remind people why they love Star Wars, and it pretty much knocked it out of the park on that one. Um, it's got some great new characters. Uh, I love the look and feel of it, especially in how it harkens back to the originals. And uh, someone asked me the other day, you know, how would it stack up to the original? I was like, you know what? They're very similar, obviously, but I like this movie better than all the other ones just because it's so much more attainable and not old and corny as hell. Well, that's it's for you. It was made for you, whereas the '70s ones were made for people in the '70s. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. So I kind of. The ones in the '70s were made to remind people of like old sci-fi TV shows from the '50s and '60s, and then this one Flash was Gordon made. And, uh, and then this one, yeah, Flash Gordon. Um, Buck Rogers. Flash Gordon. Yeah. Well, Flash Gordon is a ripoff of Buck Rogers anyway, so. And like old school pirate movies, I guess. And and this was made to remind people of like 70s and 80s Star sci-fi Wars. adventure space fantasy Star Wars. Right. J.J. Abrams is like the nostalgia king. <laughs> you're right, and that's when people say, oh, it just it just ripped off the old things. And I was like, you do realize no, you're no, talking no, no, about no. Star Wars. It's a Jurassic World is a bad way to use nostalgia in a reboot because this is basically a reboot. And Jurassic World is how you do it poorly, and this is how you do it well. Whoa! All right, pretty accurate. 
It's oh oh okay. I don't agree, but that's not what this show is about. So let's move on to the monies of the film because there are some hot numbers. Nobody can hey. nobody can hold them in their hands for too long. It scalds them. Hey, Michael, ask me how much the money this movie made. Oh wait, but first, little context. Two hundred million dollars was all of the monies. <laughs> $200 million was shoveled just into the production. You cannot imagine. Like, we always say, like, there's a mysterious marketing number out there. And depending on your movie, it could range from pretty low to pretty high. We're going to assume that the marketing on this film was through the fucking roof. So let's just tack on another 50 to $100 million in, no. in budget. Let's tack on another $200 million easily. <laughs> okay. Say that. Uh, and then Baba Booey. Okay, so say this movie costs $400 million. Did it make it back, Skyler? Um, in no uncertain terms, yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> this movie made all of Tamanis, and it's still making all of Tamanis. Oh, as of this recording, uh, Force Awakens is sitting at $873.3 million in the United States. Add on to that, 1.06 billion from the rest of the world, which brings you to 1 billion 940 dollars, 940 million, all around. Boom, boom. <laughs> you, you, the way you, dollars. the way you read those numbers made me so confused. <laughs> yeah, I would, ju- I would just like to add um, that if you want to come and take a ride with me, smoke a J in the back of the Benzie. Um, hey, must be the money. <laughs> so this movie bre- is is going to breach two billion dollars. It is, um, which would place it as the second highest uh, grossing movie of all time, uh, above Titanic. But as we are reading lately, probably not going to beat Avatar's uh, worldwide record. Man, in Ava- its initial run. That is. Avatar, what a lightning in a bottle that that thing was. Avatar is the one movie that I saw and immediately forgot about, and I only think about it when I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, like the Star Wars totally is the top grossing movie of all time, and I was like, no, Avatar. <laughs> really? That, they made that movie. That's right. I thought it was just a bad dream. <laughs> right. Well, you can now say that uh, Star Wars is the top-grossing movie of all time if you keep it to the United States, because it is. It it broke that record in pretty short amount of time. Wow. Uh, but they're saying uh, probably won't reach Avatar in its initial run, but when Disney re-releases it, which it almost certainly will sometime in the spring or summer, then we can probably start looking at... Um, that top spot re-releasing star wars why would they ever do that there's a fun fact about why this movie made a ton of money in addition to it being awesome but uh, apparently disney was forbidding uh, movie theaters from allowing people to see it for free even their employees so and anybody who broke this rule would be banned from showing any Disney productions in the future forever. So even well, employees had to pay to see this movie. That sounds exactly like Disney. 
<laughs> they can be a bit penny, penny pinchy sometimes, and then they can just shovel money into a project. For Disney rhymes with Nelly. <laughs> what does it? There's a conspiracy. <laughs> God. All right, let's move fun on. Fact. To... Fun oh. fact. I just want to throw this one in there. More, one more fun fact. <laughs> uh, everyone says that there's no word in the English language that rhymes with orange, and that is 100% untrue. The word sporange rhymes with orange, and that's the part of the mushroom that produces spores. I'm Thank editing. you. I'm editing that out so hard. You... Okay. <laughs> Don't cry about it. <laughs> I'm not going to cry. <laughs> it's not your party. All right, so we're going to move on to... Source materials as comic books. Um... But, Michael, Star Wars isn't a comic book. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Skylar. Thank you. Um, I'm going to do the best I can here with a bunch of random excess information pertaining to how comic books tie in to the Star Wars universe from a marketing standpoint as well as from a storytelling standpoint. So the first story I want to tell you, we're going to go back... To 1975, Lucasfilms approaches Stan Lee and says, we want to make a Star Wars comic book that will be produced monthly along with the movie's release. And Stan Lee says, no, I'm not so sure. Uh, tie -in, movie tie-ins aren't hot in the 70s for comic books. Uh, Star Wars, of course, wasn't a cultural phenomenon yet. It hadn't come out. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of hype before this movie. Um, and and so Lee said, all right, this book has to reach 100,000 copies sold before I'm even going to consider giving you royalties back. And fast forward two years later, uh, the book is going strong into 78 and 79. And Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, <laughs> states, that series saved Marvel financially. So obviously that was a hit. And that series continued all the way until 1987. It was just called Star Wars, and it was a monthly comic. I think it took place uh, with events between episodes four and five. And then after 87, Dark Horse picks up the franchise in 91. Uh, they start publishing various miniseries, different short stories, um, uh, I don't know if they had any long-running issues going on. Dark Horse isn't really known for that outside of like Hellboy, and they ha they held on to the series, they held on to the franchise until about 2014, and then comic publishing rights returned to Marvel in 2015. Disney having bought Marvel, the company, in 2009, and Lucasfilms in 2012, it's only natural that they would want the comic book publishing rights as well. And so now we get a whole new line of 2015 comic books. All right, everything that came before is no longer considered canon. All those stories. Am I right, Grant? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Everything prior to 2014 is uh, other than the movies, the Clone Wars TV series, and um, the Rebel TV series that there was are the only things that are pre 2014 that are still, um, canon. Okay. 
Uh, we'll get to more on canonness in a bit. I just want to discuss the different comic books they have released uh, and what I've read in preparation. Uh, they have a whole, they had a whole lineup of content called Journey to the Force Awakens. It was all these comic books, um, uh, little books, novels, short stories that were all sort of just uh, material that all took place between, or that was all supposed, yeah, supposed to be stories between six and seven episodes. And I only read about two of those: Star Wars Shattered Empire comic book which is pretty cool. It's uh, just a, about a four or five issue arc dealing with Poe uh, po Dameron's parents and um, their travels with Princess Leia and Han Solo. And it's actually like really cool. And by the end of it, Shara Bay, Shala Bay, I forget, Poe's mom saves a Force-sensitive tree with Luke Skywalker... <laughs> and then gets to keep that tree, because uh, there were two of them, so she keeps one, Luke keeps the other, which hints at the fact that Poe might be Force-sensitive. Anyway, um, there's also going to be another Star Wars comic book coming out in March called three, uh, Special C-3PO, which deals with the story of how C-3PO got his red arm, because we all just got like thrown into that one-liner in the movie. I bet you're wondering how I got this. Uh, not really. We're moving on. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> C-3PO is so full of himself. I groaned yeah. when he showed up on screen. <laughs> <laughs> He's iconic. Um, <laughs> and the other thing I read was a short uh, children's book, kind of children's book, ages 9 through 12, by Greg Rucka, who's famous for his Batman run and action comics run. It wasn't a comic book. It was literally three stories dealing with uh, FN2187, Finn, Ray, and Poe Dameron. And I'm just going to take you quickly through those three stories um, very quickly. With Poe Dameron's story is just extra context. He was a pilot for the Republican Navy before... He got recruited into the Resistance personally by Princess Leia. Uh, the first mission he did for the Resistance involved stealing a yacht-class spaceship uh, from a senator and fighting off three star destroyers and endless amounts of TIE fighters in order to get it back to the Resistance with some vital information. Uh, it had info on Lord Sonteca, or the, the guy that eventually gives them information on where Luke Skywalker might be. Uh, that's all Poe's story was about. Um, FN 2187 story, Finn's is it's really good. Uh, he was the top of his squad in class. And we don't really know a whole lot about the First Order and why they're training all these people instead of clone troopers. So this, this, this story dealt a little context. Um, he was the top of his squad. He had his other squad members included uh, FN 2199, aka 9s, FN 2000, zeros. They're getting really creative here. And FN 2003, anyone want to take a guess? Three. <laughs> Flip, because it says so in the outline. Oh, uh, you're no fun. You're, you're, you're cheating. You're a buzzkill. Wow. Well, I, actually, I actually knew that anyway, just because I'm <laughs> kind of familiar with this storyline. 
Uh-huh. Uh and he was the he was the the leader of this squad. He uh they're all under Captain Phasma and General Hux. Finn didn't get a nickname. He was rarely called 87 as a shortened version of his name, but normally he was known by his full name FN2187. Um, and he's always picking up after Slip's mistakes. Slip was sort of the slow, dumb one of the group, could never really figure out what he needed to do. Phasma uh, is really impressed by Finn's skill, but angered by his compassion to always go easy on Slip. Uh, so she's very conflicted about what to do with this guy because he's like the best shot in the First Order. Like he's 35 for 36 in training missions of like accuracy. In their first combat mission, real combat, wasn't simulator, they end up slaughtering a miners' union that the First Order claimed they were going to negotiate new terms with. Um, FN didn't fire a bullet because his squad members killed everyone before he even had a chance to. Uh, Phasma is, of course, disturbed by this and then decides to give him one last chance. We're going to do the same thing, but on Jakku. <laughs> and that's where the movie picks up. Uh, and then, of course, he abandons right after that. And then the uh, the other story is Rey and her quick tale in the desert. So she's born after the Battle of Endor, pretty much everyone is. She's abandoned on Jakku near Outpost Nima, uh, became one of the most skilled scavengers. She lived in a crashed AT-AT, learned how to fly off of a discovered Y-Wing stimulator. Uh, um, <laughs> I think they sell those down at pure pleasure. <laughs> Uh, she learned how to fly off a discovered Y-Wing simulator uh, that helped her master her skills as a pilot, mechanical skills of how to repair ships, um, and even a few alien languages. Uh, her her ba- here Before the Awakening story has her scavenging a ship that she found in the desert and trying to repair it to flight capabilities. There's no real extra content or even mention of why she'd rather sell the ship instead of take it off-world until the very end of the story, where she's like, my family. So this book came out before the movie, and like you could have been like, oh, so like that's her deal. And then in the movie, they just kind of say it right away. <laughs> and like, oh, okay, so what's the deal with her family is still the question. Um... That's all I have on relevant Star Wars information. I mean, I could talk for days, I guess, on the old Star Wars comics that are no longer relevant. Uh, The other 2015 Star Wars comics that have come out and are currently in production, Vader, uh, Vader Down, Star Wars, the single title Star Wars, uh, Boba Fett, I think, is also out. Um, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Oh, is that? Oh, that's also out? Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin, excuse me. <laughs> of the ones I've read, they're really not good, and none of them deal with post-episode 6 stories. So I was like, we're going to keep everything post-episode 6. Except, I want Grant to d- deal some dish on what we're missing out with the whole canon wipe decision that Disney made. Take it away. Okay, well, to kind of go off of what you just said with the stories that they're coming out with that deal with the older stuff. They kind of have to do that if they're going to reboot the whole canon. Otherwise, they have to go back and sift through the thousands of other source materials out there in order to determine what should still be canon and what shouldn't. So easier to just rewrite stuff than to um, 
do all that research. Um, so basically, Star Wars canon is any extra um, products that are put out by Lucasfilm or now Disney um, that deal with the Star Wars universe outside of the movies. And like I said, there used to be tons of books. Any video game that came out is still would have been considered canon most of the time. Um, the comics, like you were talking about, anything like that. And so now with the 2014 reboot, obviously they're taking the story in a different direction in the movies than George Lucas originally wanted to. So they're also going to kind of reboot the rest of the canon as well. Hold so, I feel as if we have to explain real quick what canon means, because that can be a very odd word to an outsider. Um, canon or canonical? Involves like all of the store, the Star Wars movies are. It's like official story. Like, are basically you're considering everything that came before fan fiction. Like, none of it is 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 related to any any adventures Qui Gon Jinn had in the books prior to 2014. No longer count as context information to what Star Wars is doing now. It's not canon with the story. You, you can think of this in terms of like biblical scholarship where there were all kinds of different books and stories written about Jesus, but you know, most mainstream Christian churches only recognize the four gospels as canon, as quote-unquote true. Official, yes. Official, yeah. Um. Uh, but 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 Grant, I'm really interested in. I did. Did you take the the canon wipe uh, decision hard? Like, were you were you torn by this? Because all of the time, all the not Star Wars knowledge you've gathered, kind of just gets swept under the rug. Yeah, I mean, it isn't great. Um, there were a lot of good books out about Star Wars, and obviously a lot of good video games as well that were. Um, very popular and had great storylines and I thought they added a lot to the um, original trilogy as well as the prequels and now none of them are strictly true. Uh, for example, there was a long series of young adult books about Boba Fett's backstory that came out after episode two that I thought were really good and now technically none of those are true. So, I mean, I get why they're doing it and I get why it's a necessity, but it's maybe not the best decision that they could have made. I would have liked to see them just do the research and actually pick which stories are still canon and which aren't, but I, I get why that's not feasible. Um, well, now tell me, what's the biggest thing we're missing, though? That's what I really wanted to know, uh, is is what's like the biggest influential character that never showed up in the movies, um, but like everyone knows about who's read an extra Star Wars story or two? Okay, well, especially with the, the prequel books and books that are Old Republic, so pre-Episode 1, um, you missed out on a lot of characters. I mean, some that are only mentioned in the movies, like Darth Plagueis, and then also some other ones, Darth Bane, who uh, is really important as far as Sith history goes. Um, and then also with the Clone Wars especially, you miss out on a lot of the other Jedi. So, I mean, you see some of the main ones in the movies with uh, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Yoda, Mace Windu, but you miss out on a lot of them 
that are also really cool, like Shakti or Ayla Sakura, who do a lot of really cool things in the books and video games that um, now their whole stories have to be remade um, to be considered canon, which is kind of unfortunate because their stories were already really good. Oh, all right. Anything else you want to talk about about this 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 canon bullshit? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I kind of just want to go into. I know this might be a little boring, but I thought it was fairly interesting. Is how ridiculously complex Star Wars canon is. Obviously, it's a huge universe, but they actually have six different levels of canon that are how they determine what is true or not, and any higher level takes precedent over a lower level, considering some things often don't quite uh, gel as much as they should. So, for example, something in a book might just be slightly different than it appeared in a movie, and so then you take the movie as kind of the higher canon, and so it is always seen as true. And so just kind of going through those quick, the first four are kind of what's really seen as canon, and then the bottom two are basically just fan fiction stuff. So they're um, things that aren't canon, really, but they're included in this list. So the first one is G canon, which is George Lucas canon, and that's anything that George Lucas (laughs) produced or had anything to be a part of, even things that were never published, really. So anything he said in an interview or whatever, that is... 100% 100% true all the time. And so that's the six movies, and I guess now technically the seventh movie, and then anything that he's ever said or written is 100% true. And then there's T canon, which is the television canon, and that just includes Star Wars The Clone Wars and the Star Wars live-action TV series. And so that's the second level. Uh, C canon is the kind of the whole non-film, non-TV universe, and so that's video games, the new Star Wars Battlefront, any sort of storyline that it may eventually have, since right now it (laughs) doesn't really have anything, would be considered canon. Um, And in the old canon before the reboot, things in Star Wars Battlefront or Star Wars Bounty Hunter video games or all those books, those were considered uh, C canon. And then S-Canon is kind of the last one, and so this is actually where the comics fall in. Um, These are things, well, especially the old stuff. S-Canon is secondary canon, and it's anything that predates 2014, and as long as it doesn't interfere with anything post-2014, it can still be considered canon (laughs) until proven otherwise. Oh my god, what a cop Yes, it's a huge complex system that they have going for this nonsense, but with all the source material that they have, it's pretty much necessity. It's like the 10th Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Uh, the states have all the powers that the federal government doesn't have, unless the federal government says that it has them. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Interestingly, though, so the next level is N, or non-canon, and this is things that have been, like, deleted from the canon, which includes things like deleted scenes from the movies. So even though they were originally going to be in the movies, because they were deleted, they're now non-canon and are in the second lowest canon where level. Does the, which I, where does the holiday special fit into all of this? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure, but since uh, I'm assuming George Lucas had 
a lot of uh, production input to it, it would be G Cannon, so the top. Well, I would boy. imagine. I'd imagine it would be in a new class called D Cannon, disowned. <laughs> well, there actually is D Cannon, and that's the bottommost level, but that's basically the level for fan fiction. It goes into D Cannon, so anything that's not official in any way whatsoever is D Cannon. So it's the lowest. For an example, Fifty Shades of Grey is D Cannon Twilight. Not at this point. They've had a movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would definitely put that in there as that sort of uh, specification of it. I, I'm saying it's shit. Uh, I know it's shit. I'm aware that that's what you're saying. Have mm. you guys actually seen it, though? <laughs> no. no. Yes. Oh, my God. It's worse than you're imagining. <laughs> Is it worse than Fantastic Four? It's it's like they deliberately tried to find the most boring way to <laughs> deliver the plot. <laughs> it's almost endearing. It's almost endearing how boring it can get. Whereas Fantastic Four is just like, kill me now. <laughs> Fantastic Four is less boring than Fifty Shades, and also yeah. a better movie. Ooh. We All can right. talk about we can talk about Fifty Shades some other time, but like the. Yeah. the We'll the devote an episode. The complexity of its awfulness is just astounding. <laughs> All right, so it's as complex as the Star Wars canon. Uh, but let's move on to music. Skylar, please, you just go. Okay, just going. Uh, Star Wars: Force Awakens score is done by none other than John Williams. Might have heard of him now and then. Uh, not like he wrote the previous six Star Wars movie scores or anything. And in this film, he uh, surprisingly returned, despite no George Lucas involvement, um, and crafts a score that is uh, good. It's, it's good. It's Star Wars. It's quality, obviously. Um, right when the movie came out, uh, I heard uh, Jeremy Messersmith on The Current talking about um, The Force Awakens and all that fun stuff. Uh, Jeremy Messersmith is a popular Twin Cities music artist. He said, this is the best score since the original three. And I was like, you know, no, no, it's not. And the reason for that is because the prequel movies had to lean on the score to actually get some sort of drama or interest out of him. Whereas this one, the movie is actually strong enough that the score can just support instead of carry the weight. Let's listen to the first of... A few new themes with Ray's theme. Hold on. For a second, I thought John Williams did the score to Superman Returns. Because I'm going, did he just do the same thing again? Where he, he's he does like, that, though. <laughs> like he does. 
Yeah. Where he yeah. just sort of like, you know what? My first theme was so fucking good. I'm just going to sort of I mean, it's not phoning it in, but there's nothing it, it didn't seem like there was there's that flair to it. No, it's it's a very subdued score like back to my point about the prequel scores in this one. Um each one of those movies has like a distinct theme to signify the movie with. And this one, it's got little new themes for characters and whatnot and uh, uh, solo action stuff going on, but it's not like... You couldn't really pick it out of a crowd, really. Next example we've got is The Falcon, where, much like the movie, you'll get some old and some new. New action music mixed with old Star Wars themes. Are you sure he didn't just, uh, you're not just pulling clips from Star Wars New Hope? Pretty sure, because even those would be a little more (laughs) distinctive. Um, Yeah, here's the fascinating thing about this score is that, okay, John Williams is like 84 years old, right? He is in the twilight years of his life, whatnot. Um, And for the last 10 years or so, he's just pretty much exclusively been working with directors. He's overly fond of basically Steven Spielberg. Let's just say he's been working with Steven Spielberg for the last 10 years. Okay. And this is what happens when he, you know, he's at the later part of his career and he shacks up with a new director. He's an old guy, I suppose. I just let him be. If he wants to if he wants to be like, you know what? The sound from like 30 years ago is still pretty good. And it's not like we're doing anything drastically new with this movie. We're going to kind of use that sound. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Yeah, for the longest time, when uh, Abrams was announced, people were like, oh, yeah, that means Michael Giacchino is going to jump on board to do the music. So uh, having John Williams do it was a big surprise. Uh, Listening to this, I don't know whether I want more of it or if I want someone new to try it out. But let's delve deeper in the proceedings with the track The Star Killer. Was this the scene where they were killing that planet? It was, and uh, the reason I picked it out was because I think it was one of the better musical moments of the Mm -hmm. film, and, well, probably actually just one of the better moments in general. 
uh, particularly because the music really worked for it. So I thought well, they were mentioning. I mean, they were trying to justify uh, another planet-killing device with, hey, this time it's a little bit more emotional because because in episode four they couldn't really portray that emotion. Um, uh, Alderaan, when it blew up, it was just pew, pew. <laughs> you monsters. Yeah, we didn't see anybody die on it. It was just gone. We had no grasp. Whereas no, they, this one, you're like the people see it coming, and they just get incinerated like 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 Pompeii under Vesuvius. No, I mean the uh, the impact of this scene hit so much more thanks to the music and just how they portray it. So yeah, I thought that this one sounded a whole lot like the opening credit scene to the Usual Suspects, and I guess since just going off that movie, what that opening credit scene was supposed to be doing anyway, that this is a good music choice for this scene as well, since they were showing that whole boat massacre in that one. Sorry, it's a little off topic, but that's just what it reminded me of a lot. Fair enough. Well, it's, what well, it's funny, because uh, John Ottman was the one who did that music for that movie, and that ties back into Michael's comments about uh, Superman Returns. <laughs> All right, we got time for one more. Uh, let's see what don't 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 kill me in editing, <laughs> please. <laughs> okay, um, we can skip the last one. For this one, I just wanted to throw the track on the inside into uh, the mix because it has the short miniature theme for Kylo Ren mixed in with it. You're saying this was the theme to Kylo Ren? Uh, not in its entirety. Every time you hear the dun 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 dun. Oh, oh well, well, that's funny because I didn't hear any bitch fit in this entire song. Oh. <laughs> this this was also a uh, fun fact. The score for Jurassic Park because John Williams has a habit of ripping himself off somehow. <laughs> Oh man, the prequels where he just modulated the whole theme and slowed it down and said, "Good enough." This sounds like it could have come out of the original Jurassic Park movie, like bah, 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 bah. like that. That sounds like a, a T Rex or something. Yeah, it reminded me of Pacific Rim, and like every time a big monster shows up, they're like, "Let's bring in fifty tubas." Yeah, and I, I'm just kind of pointing out, you know, something we've been talking about, how John Williams like doesn't have a whole lot of variety in his scores. Like, well, not anymore. The man's old. I think I he, think he's done his due diligence. And he's always been a better guitar player than a composer, in my opinion. Oh, oh, oh! In fact, he is he is like a world class classical guitar player, like one of the greatest of all time. He's also a jazz pianist that is pretty renowned as well. 
Well, good for no, you, but, John Williams. Oh, go ahead. But you know, springing off your guys' point about, you know, don, 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 I feel like if he had just developed that theme more than a five-note little throwaway thing, it would be more distinctive. And now here we are comparing it to other stuff. Uh, that's how you. That's how we know things. Is you just compare it to something you know. Are, are you gonna be like that? Sounds so cacophonous. You just make up words eventually. Um, it's pronounced cacophonous. I know, but I was making up a word uh, that was meant to mean new. Uh, <laughs> um, so, any more music, Skyler? Uh, no, that's. Uh... That's about the extent of it for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Good score. Nothing terribly memorable, but it gets the job done. Curious to see if he stays on board for Episode Eight. Okay. I mean, honestly, at this point, I think Star Wars was just asked John Williams, and then he said yes, and they're like, all right, we're going to use your name. We don't really care how good the score is. <laughs> Uh, it would have it upset a lot of people if anyone other than John Williams did the score for Star Wars 7. All right. Let's move on to our next section. Science. Big science. Big science. All right. Featuring the hit single, um, Oh, Superman. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> hey, man. It's a good album. I believe you. So uh, you you deal the order of this. Um, in terms of importance, I mean, I'm going to guess Kardashev, BB, and then Lightsaber. Nope, other way around. Oh, we're going to start with Lightsaber. In, in the order it's printed in the, in the, in the outline. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the, the new Death Star, Death Star 3.0. What's it called? The Star Killer? Star Killer. Star Killer Base. Okay, so um, how do I want to approach this topic? So the study of the future and the development of technology in human societies is called futurism. And one thing that futurists like to do is try to figure out how advanced, like have some kind of objective measure of how advanced, in air quotes, a civilization is. And uh, one thing developed by um, the Russian astronomer and physicist Nikolai Kardashev um, in 1964 is called the Kardashev scale. And basically it charts the development of a civilization based on uh, how much energy is available to them. Um, and there's, there's his original model had three levels and, you know, other futurists have added and added other levels and had different scalings. Um, but basically type one, uh, a type one civilization on the Kardashev scale uh, is capable of harnessing all the energy available on a planet. So, um, you know, all your geothermal resources, your nuclear fission, your your solar, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. And it ends up being somewhere between, depending on the solar system, 10 to the 16 and 10 to the 17 watts, uh, which we are not close to yet. Okay. Um, but what, what we see, what the, what the first order apparently is, um, and this makes sense, uh, is a type 2 civilization. And that is a civilization uh, capable of harnessing the energy of an entire star. And they would be able to do, you know, interstellar transportation, stuff like that. Um, so and, 
does this mean that Jean Grey's the Phoenix is in herself a Type 2 civilization? Was her power on the galactic, or on an interstellar level or, or an intergalactic level? I don't know the difference. Interstellar means between stars, intergalactal means between galaxies. Well, she could shape reality eventually. She okay, she would, be like a, she would be like a type 5 <laughs> civilization where, like, if you can bend the laws of space and time to your whims and are basically a god, that's, that's type 5. Um, but what, what we see is uh, we see the First Order, and major spoilers here, um, being able to harness the power of an entire star, uh, which would make them a type 2 civilization. And what they do for this is call is uh, something called stellar lifting, where they have material from the sun that they siphon off and use for some other purpose. And it's it's a real thing that people think about and like try to propose ways that this might happen. And Ballin. we're we're not humans are not close to being able to do this, but it'd be nifty. Mm-hmm. And then type 3? Uh, basically, um, type 3, you can use the energy of an entire galaxy. Like a galactic core? Or just able to just sort of pull energy out of the air? So, if, 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 so like, one, one way, one way a, a type 2 civilization would get, would harness the power of an entire sun, is basically build a megastructure around it that basically is like a solar panel that blocks out the entire sun and takes all that energy, all that radiation, and, and beams it somewhere for some other use. A Type 3 civilization could do that on every star in a galaxy. My god. Yeah. Thank goodness like, we don't... I like futurists, because they just think of some bonkers shit and say, this <laughs> might exist. Um, Carl Sagan uh, kind of figured out a way to... Um, figure out intermediate values of Kardashev's scale, basically because Kardashev's like, okay, well, if you could do this, it would make this much energy, so it's type 2 would civilization would have so much energy in type 4. Uh, Carl Sagan kind of extended the scale and estimated uh, that in 1973, we were a type 0.7 <laughs> civilization. Sagan. What a what a nifty dude. <laughs> so we're not quite type 1 yet. Okay. We're, we're getting there. Um, all right, then. Let's move on to the hot topic of science, the one hot I really topic. want to know about. The one that I don't, really don't care about. What? It, it's, uh... How does BB-8 work? Oh, no. We're doing that last because that's the coolest. Oh, I, okay. I'm sorry. See, I, that's yeah. why I thought I was so offended. That's why, that's why I said we're, we're doing it in the order that it's in the outline. Okay. Lightsabers. Lightsabers. How do they laser work? sword. On some level, it doesn't really matter because it's it's just a cool thing, you know. A fight with a laser sword. Who doesn't like that? But I don't right. know how they work. Right. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a very basic standpoint, you have kind of three main components of of lightsaber, you have a power source and a focusing crystal and then a blade length adjuster. So those are kind of the three uh, big parts that you need for a lightsaber. And so obviously in the Star Wars universe they have these 
fancy crystals that they get from planets like Renvar, and um, apparently it's very difficult to get them, which is why only Jedi and Sith have lightsabers, and they can be different colors, and that kind of dictates what color your lightsaber will be. Um, and then they obviously have a fictional power source um, that's just insanely powerful and small at the same time. Um, that could be something we have in the future, I guess, just really small, powerful power sources that could make these type of um, energy beams, but probably... If you're a type 2 civilization, you definitely have well, yeah, if you're a type 2 civilization, you could do that. Um, and then the blade length adjuster and kind of the power adjuster are just there to regulate how strong and long your blade is. And um, that's kind of it. Then there are a bunch of other things that kind of fine-tune these three main parts, and obviously it's all surrounded in a hilt. Um, but that's really the, the gist of how a, a fictional lightsaber works. Um, for this movie, interesting to note, I'm sure all of you noticed how Luke's lightsaber was very, uh, or I guess Anakin's lightsaber originally, was very a clean blade. It was very smooth. Um, whereas Kylo Ren's crackled and looked kind of like fire. So that's because apparently Kylo Ren's crystal that he has in his lightsaber is cracked, and so it's causing the energy to kind of focus out in different ways than it should be. And so that's why it gets that crackling, fire-type-looking appearance that the other lightsabers that you've seen in the movie so far don't have. That also explains the uh, hilt on his that other ones don't have. Um, we have a book explaining this at the store, and I was a big nerd and read through it, but um, <laughs> apparently because of the unstable power, it needs an exhaust, or in this case two, so instead of just being a hilt, that's an exhaust for all the energy coming off his lightsaber. That is way more interesting than I was like, Oh, he put a cross guard on it so he doesn't get his hand chopped off because he saw what happened to everyone else in this series. <laughs> <laughs> Even C-3PO. That is, that is a more interesting keep... theory than the original one people had before the movie came out, which was just that he had multiple focusing crystals going off in different directions to, See, just for stupid. the sake of having a hill. Yeah, that is way more stupid than, than being exhaust ports because of how unstable his crystal is. Because he's um, an unstable person. Or should yeah. I say unstable baby boy? <laughs> oh, shit. I, I, I get symbolism. the symbolism now. I get the symbolism now. This movie's so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously, lightsabers are not a real thing and probably never will be because you can't... In the sense that they are in the movie, they probably never will be a real thing just because you can't cap a laser beam. Like, that just doesn't work. Um, especially in something that's small that you could then use as a sword. But uh, Michio Kaku, who's a Carl Sagan-type physicist, has lots of TV specials and books, uh, did a TV special about how he would make a lightsaber, and it was pretty interesting. And so rather than it being a laser beam, it was basically a superheated plasma sword that had a stabilized length because it had... Um, just a ceramic blade. So like very much like the toy lightsabers you get that kind of collapse in on themselves, this would have a similar type round blade that collapses in on itself that's just full of holes and perforated and made of 
um, a ceramic material that would be stable at those intense heats, and then it would just have a um, a plasma torch in it, which are something that are around on a much smaller scale. Actually, they're much bigger instruments that make very small plasma flames. You use them in chemistry, atomic absorption, spectroscopy, and stuff like that. But then if you, in the future, could somehow minimize the instrument but increase the power output, then you could make a blade long enough to use for a lightsaber. And then you would just need a uh, battery source that could self-cool itself, which is also something that people work on that isn't really commercially available yet. So lightsabers, in a sense, are possible, but not quite in the same way that they're portrayed in the movies. But it's an interesting TV special. I'm sure you guys could go look it up if you were that curious about it. But Grant, does it come in purple? Fun fact, um, ceramic holds up so well under heat that cer- like ceramic tiles are used on um, like satellites and the space shuttle and stuff to um, like absorb heat when they encounter Earth's atmosphere. It heats up really hot. And so they have ceramic tiles to keep it from burning. Yeah, and you know you can get it off bowls. Um, if you're and dinner plates, if you're playing Fallout Four, uh, it's uh, not quite the same material, Mauer. But <laughs> nice try. Hey, you know it's you also always really got good under extreme cold too. You use ceramics for uh, superconductors under extremely cold temperatures and less extremely cold temperatures now. Is that's right. a big area of research is superconductor stuff. So we're good on more fun facts about science. Yeah, we should move on. <laughs> BB-8. 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 How does BB-8 work? BB-8 works. I was surprised to learn he is not CGI. That is a real remote control prop. I've actually seen people on YouTube make their own BB-8s before, not even like with, obviously not to the same caliber as the movie, but people at home have made BB-8 remote control robot. But how? I want it. Well, you can actually look up um, Disney's patent on the internal mechanism that makes BB-8 move. And basically, um, it's a, like, it's a set of wheels. So the, the, the like, the ball part, like the soccer ball part, is this is one of those hollow. moments where visual aids would be extremely helpful. But yeah, uh, this is a podcast. I know, so, it's a okay. podcast. So the soccer ball shell is mostly hollow. And on the inside, and no one really knows how they work, but how the, the patent is. Because um, <laughs> Disney did patent the mechanism that... I'm serious, you can look it up. Um, Magnets, how do they work? <laughs> right, so there's... Uh, inside the soccer ball, which is just a thin shell, there's like the heavy like motorized component that like also acts as like a thing for its set, to keep its center of gravity low so it stays stable. And there are like wheels around um, that allow the ball to spin in any direction. And so it's it's kind of like a hamster ball with a like ball like that rotates around another ball, basically. Okay, I'm and looking then, at this thing now and you guys have to look at this because it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was magnets. You're it, telling that, me... Okay, and then... The head is attached somehow, and that glides around on magnetic rollers. Okay, I was gonna say, so, no way that they have the head on wheels. The the head is not on wheels. The head is on a magnet. There are wheels inside that rotate the 
ball. Yeah, the soccer ball. So it move. can move. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, if 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 you, if you if if like my explanation is not making sense, go to howbb8works.com and these two guys, <laughs> um, these two guys like did all kinds of research and and figured out like two plausible models for how the BB-8 robot was built. Oh, BB-8. Oh, by the BB-8. way, fun yeah. fact again, the voice of BB-8, Bill Hader. Bill Hader and Ben Burt apparently both uh, consulted on that. The, he, just, he, made, yeah. he made sounds into uh he made sounds into a microphone, and they just like did that weird synthesizer thing on your piano, where they just ramp up and then ramp down <laughs> Woo, the pitch. BB-8, so awesome. <laughs> He's a cool guy. Really upstaged R2D2 because R2D2 decided to take a dump for the whole film. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, fuck R2D2. You, you groaned at C-3PO. I groaned when R2D2 woke up for no reason. For some reason, he felt I'm not the sure which. Oh God! I, I was like, "Come on!" That was my one thing I didn't like about the movie. Oh, I am kind of excited which... though to possibly see a BB-8 and R2D2 kind of team up doing things because I think that would be much more interesting than C-3PO and R2D2 teaming up and doing things. Well, C-3PO so... does bullshit. <laughs> when has C-3PO ever like assisted? I mean, literally, he's just ever. there to complain about everything all the time. <laughs> he, he never does shit. He's the he's the comic relief, and he's not even funny. No, he's just he's annoying. No, he's Fuck not C-3PO. He's not he's not like laugh out loud funny, but he's like he like he 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 gets into funny situations. He's there to translate what R two D two says. Yeah. So that everyone's not like, what the hell is that droid saying? Apparently, though, people can hear droids. Though some characters can, some characters can't hear the people. You mean pops. understand droids? I mean, yeah. everybody can hear them, but oh. they have their own language, just like Wookiees do. So. What about deaf people? They can't the, hear droids. Shut up. The, the Have the, we seen a single deaf person in all of the Star Wars universe yet? I mean, I'm sure they exist, but... Darth Maul? For the, <laughs> he has speaking lines in the first one. He really? Talks to, yeah, yeah, he, he talks, talks to Palpatine. Uh, Palpatine. He's like, he says, kill them. We, at last we reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. What about that, I don't uh, remember that at all. I that's not even Ray that. Park's lines. They had a they had a voiceover for Ray Park. Because <laughs> Ray Park was Darth Maul. Ray Park didn't actually even say anything. They had someone else be the voice for Darth Maul. I watched that movie like less than a month ago. I watched episode one on VHS. I don't Ooh. remember that scene at all. It's oh. it's right before he goes off to. Uh, we don't need the... that. Yeah, let's just <laughs> stop. <laughs> Rewatch the movie or Google the scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you guys get into it, <laughs> and I don't want to discourage that. But we're on the clock here, fellas. And honestly, I think the clock's up. No yeah. drinking game rules. Uh. That, that that section's best when it's a bad movie, and this movie's good, so why would we drink during it? I mean, there's certain rules you can do whenever uh, Finn has heavy breathing, whenever oh, yeah. Ray does something that, like, is like, hey, guess what? She's a strong female character. 
Um, the obvious feminism moments in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't hold my hand. Um, oh, uh, chug through the um, Ray Kylo Ren mind battle and see who makes it longest. <laughs> uh, and uh, or just the crunching sound of her brain and innards. I don't know. Um, oh, 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 and uh, take a shot when the Daniel Craig cameo shows up of I'm of Smirnoff. You gotta take a shot of Smirnoff. You know. Finish the bottle when you found out they pushed the next movie back seven months. Oh, oh no! Because so what the director got fired? Um, no, he's still working oh. on it. He, he just uh, needs to no, it's script. because Disney is releasing their next Pirates of the Caribbean movie first, and then Star Wars later. Oh shit! They're still they making those. No, it's because they found out that Star Wars made a bunch of money in December when it had no competition, as opposed to May when it had all these movies coming out. Of the superhero it, movies. It, it had competition. So they basically just put Pirates of the Caribbean in May because fuck Pirates of the Caribbean and they're moving Star Wars back to December again. Star Wars had comp- competition because Krampus was still in theaters. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks 3. Dude, Krampus was awesome. Krampus was fan. good. Krampus was really good. I find the only one who hasn't seen Krampus, apparently. Apparently, it's really good. Yeah, Get on it already. Oh, wow. All right, everybody just dropped out. Um, uh, Grant, we lost half of you. And Ben, we lost you. All right, you're back. Thank I'm you. I'm back. Oh, Jesus Christ, that was scary. I thought everybody was we just... Better, gonna... We better end this. We better end this. Yeah, we're getting... We're pushing our luck on no technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, you so... guys became me there from last week. <laughs> Looks like that'll wrap it up today, super fans. Uh, su- oh, this hasn't been modified yet in the outline. Um, super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cup productions if you like what you hear show us your support by rating us on itunes it doesn't cost you a penny and it means i need to think of something new to say there because obviously what i'm saying now isn't getting you guys to rate the damn podcast (laughs) um like i can't give you money uh i shovel enough of it into the just maintaining this if you write if you write a good review we'll shout you out I mean, give you a shout out. It's a granted. uh, Grant will shout you out because it's it's for granted. Um, And uh, breezing past that joke, you don't need to laugh. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't funny at all. (laughs) All right. Sorry, it was a bad joke. I laughed more at my own jokes than anyone else's. Um, but give us hate mail, give us love mail. Um, but if you give us hate mail, it's got to have a five star behind it so that we're confused. Um, and we don't lose respect for you. Uh, just fucking read the iTunes, guys. You know how easy this is. I'd give you a link if I was smart enough to create a link that just opened up your iTunes to our podcast page. I do it. I've I've tried figuring it out. All right. Ugh, all right I'm done. Put it on the website. I I will. I will. Speaking of the website, tripecop.com. It's a coming. I believe. Shouldn't it be? It, sh- it should pretty much be ready by the time this is released. Um, hopefully. Hopefully, but like, it's 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 there, guys. Like, how long have I been saying we're gonna get a fucking website? <laughs> it's in the plan. And it is within grasp, um, if not already out. The plan is to have it out 
before this episode, which was The Spirit. Um, but if not, it'll be out by this one. Uh, and by the very latest, the next episode. But first, Twitter. Yeah, we're still uh, on Twitter at our old handle, at SuperheroMC. Maybe that'll be updated, maybe it won't, I don't know, probably. Uh, tell us how much you like Star Wars The Force Awakens on uh, Twitter. Don't give me your shit about how you don't like it or think Ray is a Mary Sue or whatever. I'm not having it. <laughs> I'll take that shit. I want to hear it. Oh, actually, just talk to Tom. Uh, Tom's on Twitter. He'll respond to you within minutes. Yeah, Tom's uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like I always like log into Twitter every every couple of days or so, and I just see a new tweet by him, and I just like, damn, he nails it. When we released X Men Three, he was like, Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everybody. Guess what? We came out with X Men Three. <laughs> What's a coincidence? <laughs> 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 the fact that we lined that up. I didn't even try to do that. First of all. I tried to do Captain America and President's Day last year, but not, the, not X3 and MLK. Um, and so that's going to do today. Next week's episode is going to be uh, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. Ooh. Um, Get back here, Jessica. Jessica. The day after Valentine's Day, so that'll make you feel good. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can Kilgrave be your Valentine? He'll uh, he'll invade your childhood home. Uh, <laughs> oh, spoilers! For, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Galahutsma. Ben Anderson. And Grant Austin. And I hope you all have a super week. Bye.